as we're getting started. Um, we'll look at those papers a little bit later, but uh, I want to just uh, open up tonight to any questions you guys have. Uh, we, uh, I like to start sometimes at the beginning with different things that you might have questions about that uh, as you're reading, you were going to read 9 through 11 today, right? 9 through 11 is where we're at, and uh, we finished 8 last week. How about any questions you guys have? End time stuff? Yeah. I have a question. I'm not sure where it fits in. Years ago, I heard that some people used to live to be 200 years old, but then you hear that they lived to only be 40. Yeah. So how many years, how many thousands of years ago did people used to live to be 200? So God put a limit on how long people could live, and he said that um, they... Uh, it was 120, right? I think it was the age that God said that would be it with man, that he would deal. Now, because of sin, when man, man was created to live forever, his body was to continue to regenerate. But because of separation from God, his body has now continued to digress. And the further we get from creation, the shorter the span. So then you get to the book of Psalm. And it says that um, God gives to every man, he'll give him 70 years and by reason of strength, 80 years. You could live up to 120 years. That's so that, the huh? That's, that's the limit that God has put out there. Now, I don't know of anybody that's made it past 120 since God put that out. Since, you know, uh, flood, yeah, this is after the flood. Yes, sir. And uh, so, but uh, I think what was it? I just saw someone the other day was 106 and passed away. And uh, but yeah, so those are the limits. So, you know, the seven, the, the, in the psalm, it says that you can live, uh, I think it's like, four, I forget how it says it. it's three score and 10 or something like that. And then by reason of strength, four score, so you could make it to 80 years. Uh, but we know lots of believers that have made it well into their 90s. So, um, you know, really, a lot of it depends on our attitude, how we look at life. Are we staying active? And are we taking care of ourselves? That's and, it, right? Yeah. And so, you know, and I, I know people, I've dealt with people that are in their 80s. They're like, I don't want to be here anymore. So, you know, when they get to those, uh, get to those kinds of deals. So. You know, they just feel like they're ready to, they're tired or whatever, and they're ready to go. Good question, Jan. Any other questions? Anything about Revelation, end times? Do you think we're in the end times now? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. No, we're in it. Do you think we will see the end times, or do you think this might go on for I think we'll be gone by the time, I think we're taken out of the earth by the Lord before all of it escalates into the tribulation period. Then there's, we talked about a couple of weeks that you were gone, but it's okay. But uh, that in the, at the 3.5 year mark in the tribulation, there's another catching away that takes place. Those are people that have endured through the tribulation. So definitely, though, I think we're in the end times. Um, you know, all of these things, you know, remember it is what he said in Revelation 1. These are things that were, are, and will be. So most of what we're dealing with now has been around before. It hasn't, this isn't new. Um, you know, the surrounding Israel is not new. 
everybody being mad at Israel and being surrounding Israel. You know, Lebanon's mad, and you got over here, you've got, uh, you know, uh, uh, this Egypt's not really standing with them, and you've got all this that's happening. Um, you know, the Persia's against them, which is Iran. And uh, so you've got all these nations that are basically ganging up on them. You have the U.S. that's standing with them. For how long, we don't know, but they are. And, um, you know, we have warships that are there. Um, so, you know, at any moment, just like in anything, I'll tell you this, and, and I mentioned this, I think, in the book of uh, John. You know, in 1934, the Dust Bowl was in the United States of America. People were starving. Um, there, there, there were no, the crops were all shot uh, because of the dust and the, the problems they had with heat back then. And then uh, the poor farming techniques they used in the 30s. And then you had, uh, on top of that, the market crashed. And so I'm sure people thought, this is it, man. This is the, wouldn't you think that? I mean, like, yeah. we have no money, we have no food, this is it. We're in the, you know, in the Dust Bowl. They said people would lay on their beds through the night. When they'd get up in the morning, there'd be a dust, the dust would surround them on their bed. It was so bad. Which pretty much happened because uh, it was interesting if you ever study that out. But the, the reason the Dust Bowl happened is because it was dry. So the farmers, the technique at that time was to keep replowing the ground around the, where the crops were at to pull the moisture up from down in the ground. Well, you do that so many times, now there is no moisture at all, and it all turned to dust. And uh, cutting down all the trees yeah exactly yeah and they just they had just taken everything there was no real um, guidelines they ruined the land basically with what they did and and you know now that's all changed so they they now know better than to do that stuff but yeah so or how about you know all of us are old enough our at least our parents lived through the bay of pigs they thought that was the end so I think we're in. I think that all these things, they're, they're happening again and again and again. The Antichrist is looking for his opportunity. That spirit of Antichrist is looking for a way to get in and take over. They just, he just has got to wait until the church is taken out of the way. All these things, I believe, are subverted because the church prays. Now, should we be praying this is the end? Here's, here's, my, here's my thought with that. No. We should pray that everybody gets to hear the gospel. There are millions of people that still have not heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, it is. It is supposed to happen it, that every people group has an opportunity, yeah. every nation, but that doesn't mean every people will hear it. It just means every nation. Yeah, no, not every people. Yeah, so if you study it out, it talks about every nation. That the, you know, so you, you go into, like, you say, like, the nation. You all right? <laughs> I find if you have an Apple phone, I say something close to Siri, Siri starts talking on your phone. So, um, something I will tell you too is that I've been buying Bibles for people I know that yeah. go to church. And when I went to, there's a store in Alma, and I called her because I wanted a special one. And she said, you know, we're totally sold out of Bibles. As soon as we get them in, they're gone. So right. People are buying Bibles. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you forgot your <laughs> They're looking for answers for sure. Mm -hmm. And I think this is the thing too that we have to like re remember 
uh, in the midst of all of this, if we're all freaking out about the end, you know, then we're not really leading the way. If the church is, I'm talking about, you know, we're just like all in panic mode about what's going on in the world. You know, we should be at peace. Like, we know where we stand with the Lord. We know where, you know, we're praying for the gospel to get into all the world. You know, we're not, we're, yeah, we still have a lot of work to do. So, you know, um, uh, on any given week, we have people that haven't heard the gospel here that come to Amazing Grace that live in the state of Michigan, just blocks away from where we are, and they receive Christ. So, you know, it's a it's an amazing thing. So, yeah, it's good good question, though. Very good. Occupy until we are relieved. Yeah, yeah, so occupy until we're taken out. You had a... These things have to happen. Yeah. That's what I tell people at work. You know, they're all like, Yeah. These things have to happen. Yeah, yeah. Get to Revelations and read it and understand that these things have to happen before Jesus comes back. Yeah, absolutely. What? Yeah. Where points to Israel, that's, you know, we shouldn't be worried about what's around us. We should be watching Israel. Yeah. That's where everything's going to go. That's where everything's going to go. Yeah, that's where it's all going to happen at. Absolutely. And, you know, that's a that's the thing that, uh, you know, um, there's some replacement theology that says that the United States is the replacement of Israel, and that's not true. Israel is Israel. I mean, that land and what's there. Um, and, uh, you know, like I said, there's a lot of stuff that's being taught I would not agree with. And I would never expect you to agree with everything I'm saying, even though I'm right. I mean, I wouldn't expect you to agree with all that. Yeah, Dennis. Yeah. Can we jump to Second Thessalonians 2? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Right. That's a great question. So, yeah. So definitely, the body of Christ is the the body. The bride is going to be the believers too that have come in during the tribulation period which is not the body of Christ. I mean, they're, they're the bride of Christ at that point. We're, and we're brought in on that as well. But we are the body of Christ while we are here. That's a, great, that's a great question. So that's why it says he, I believe, here. But later on in Revelation, when it talks about the great marriage supper of the Lamb, that's when those believers who have, re, who have stood through the tribulation and their role is different according to Revelation because it says that, you know, we reign with, I mentioned this last week, but we reign with Christ. They serve Christ. So it's a different perspective of even what those believers uh, get have going on in their life. But we're all at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Yeah, so that's a great question, though. Thank you. Any others with that? Okay. Yeah, and so... Uh, uh, I love this, and you know, as, as Paul is teaching to those folks in Thessalonians and just dealing with how that look, this stuff is all restrained because the church is here, um, and uh, so we need to we need to recognize that we play a very important role. I mentioned too in verse eleven. Uh, I, I was going to talk to you guys about this this week in Thessalonians, which ties right into Revelation, and it says, "And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they." should believe the lie 
and that they all may be condemned who do not believe the truth but have pleasure in unrighteousness. So that God is permitting this, that people that have rejected the message, we, we wonder how can people with all that's going on in tribulation not turn? You know, those who like had heard the gospel before and they decided they didn't need that in their life. How could that be? Well, it's a delusional thing. It's they're, they're deluded by this spirit that's got them totally blinded. You know, when we get towards the book of uh, towards the middle here of Revelation, and we see that the battle that happens, the devil is still deceiving people to thinking somehow that he can win. Right. I mean that he's going to win this battle, and it's like over instantly. I mean the Lord shows up and it's over, but he's got all these people believing under this delusion. And just be careful as we read this because it says, and for this reason, God will send them strong delusion. The, remember, it is their own rebellion that causes the delusion to come. Okay, It's not that God's saying, I don't like you. I'm giving you delusion to deal with it's this. The it's it's the permissive thought that, you know, that, look, when we choose to do wrong and end up with wrong outcomes, God has set in motion that if you do wrong, you have wrong. Okay? But just because you do wrong, God isn't causing it to be wrong. He just allows it to be wrong. He allows it to be wrong, right? Because that was your choice. Right. So, you, you know, I mean, it, it's, it's, so that's where we get into the scripture and look at things like, you know, is God causing all of these things to happen? Well, you know, does he cause people that he's just saying, no, I reject all of you, so now strong delusion is going to come over you? No, they rejected him already, so the delusion comes because of that. And uh, so they, they cannot see the truth. They just don't see it. And we see little inklings of that with people we talk to, you know. Uh, my, sister, my sister-in-law, who was an uh, oncology nurse, um, she led a lot of people to the Lord in their last hours in the cancer ward. And, um, but she said there, was always, there would always be at least one that she would share the gospel with. He said, no, I'm not interested in any of that. And then she had one that she was actually in the room with him in his last moments. And he said, it's so dark. It's so dark in here. The lights were on. And he said, it's so dark. And I'm going down and I'm going down. And I see the flames. And then his, he was gone. He was gone. But he never cried out, God save me or Lord help me. He just... Because why? That del- we see that delusion gets in people's lives and they're blinded to the, the truth. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4 that the God of this world has blinded their eyes, either 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians 4, he's blinded their eyes that they could re- see the light of the glorious gospel and acknowledge the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's real. It is a real deal, this blindness that tries. You know, fortunately, what's good for us is that when we know people that are blinded, we know exactly who's blinding their eyes, and we just come against that blindness that's, in the, that's causing them not to receive the gospel. Yeah, there's no other explanation for some of the things that are happening. Yeah, there isn't any, right. No, yeah. No, no, there is no, expl- there is no other explanation except that this, these are the things that are unfolding right now. So. Yeah, you get wrong. Yeah. You know, it's like what God told Cain. He said, look, if you do right, you get the blessing. If you do wrong, sin lays at the door waiting for you. The door, look, whatever door you're going to go through here, you get to choose the door. But really, 
but you also have to accept the results of the door that you choose, right? You know, you guys used to watch Let's Make a Deal, I'm sure we all did, right? Yeah, and yeah, it's sin lies there ready to take, and it, and it actually is waiting to do something to you, to, to corrupt you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, let's go to the book of Revelation then. Chapter 9, and uh, we're going to talk about some things here uh, of, of things that unfold after the fourth trumpet um, and uh, the angel in chapter four or chapter eight, excuse me, verse 12, it says, and the fourth angel sounded a third of the sun was struck a third of the moon, a third of the stars, so that a third of them were darkened. A third of the day did not shine and likewise the night. And I looked and heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven saying with a loud voice, woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. Then the fifth angel sounds the trumpet, and he said, I saw a star falling from heaven to the earth, and to him was given the key to the bottomless pit, and he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace, so the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Now most all scholars agree that this is talking about Satan that Satan is given the key to the bottomless pit. And if you look at, just keep a note there, in Revelation chapter 20 and verses 1 through 3, it says, I saw an angel coming down from heaven having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand, and he laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old who is the devil and Satan, and he bound him for a thousand years, and he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. So it, I, think it, I think it bears out. This is uh, this, uh, whatever this fallen thing is that comes from heaven uh, that's given the key. Maybe it could be something else, but I would think it's Satan. It's just bringing corruption on the earth and releasing things into the earth. Um, we read about that uh, these locusts that come out of the pit in verse 3. And they were given power as scorpions of the earth have power. They'd start, you know, they were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing or any tree, but only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. So here's something that's, that's happening. We're at that three and a half year period People have been taken out. Now we've still seen people that are refusing to take them, that are refusing to take the mark of the beast, okay? And are still going to be martyred for what they believe. So it doesn't stop just because a group of people were, remember the Holy Spirit's still on the earth, no matter what, okay? The Holy Spirit is not taken out of the earth. And so obviously there are people that are still, they have, they, 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 um, uh, only the men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were not given authority to kill them, to, to torment them for five months, uh, like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. Uh, in those den days, men will seek death and will not find it, and they'll desire to die, and death will flee from them. Then he goes on and he describes these locusts, and I have no idea what, you know, it, I don't think it really makes any difference what they really look like. I heard that, you know, some, uh, I think it was Hal Lindsey or some of them said it looks like, 
a helicopter, you know, I don't know. I mean, does it really matter? We're out of here anyway, so do we really care? Um, we'll, be, we'll be already in the uh, reigning with Christ. Um, and it says in verse 11, and they had, a, had, they had as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name is Hebrew, in Hebrew is Abaddon, but in Greek he has the name Apollyon, which means destroyer, okay? It means destroyer. One woe is past, but still two more woes are coming after these things. The sixth trumpet, the angels from the Euphrates, and the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. And so the four angels who have been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. Now the number of the army of the horsemen was 200 million, and I heard the number of them. And thus I saw the horses in a vision. Those who sat on them had breastplates of fiery red, hyacinth blue, and sulfur yellow, and the heads of the horses were like the heads of lions, and out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and brimstone. And uh, by these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and smoke and brimstone, which, which came out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents having heads. With them they do harm. And, but the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons. Notice this now. That they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. That's so hard, isn't it, for us? We're just like, come on, man. Can't you see what's happening? And they, they do not repent. They don't, they don't turn away from it. I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven clothed with a cloud and a rainbow was on his head and he was like the sun and his feet like a pillar of fire. Now, we do see this as a description of Jesus. I don't believe this is Jesus here. It says it's an angel. Um, it's obviously an angel that has certain characteristics of what we saw with Jesus that there is a, you know, the rainbow that was over the throne is on his head. Uh, his face was like the sun, his feet like pillars of fire. He had a little book open in his hand. He set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land and cried with a loud voice as when a lion roars. And when he cried out, se seven thunders uttered their voices. Seven thunders uttered their voices. Wow. And when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered, and do not write them. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised up his hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created. See, I think he's swearing by the Lord of heaven, who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it, and the sea and the things that are in it, that there should be delay no longer. But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he's about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished as he declared to his servants and the prophets. So we have this last, this, this last angel that comes, and when it happens, there is a declaration that is made, that it is a loud roar that takes place, 
And uh, I don't know if you've ever heard Sharon talk about the roar before, um, you know, when we were down at Potter Zoo and the lion roared, everything in the zoo stops. I mean, it's so loud. The roar that comes out is talked about many times in Scripture. In fact, a couple of verses you can write down if you want to. Um, Jeremiah 35 and verse 30, The Lord shall roar from on high and utter His voice from His holy habitation. He shall mightily roar upon His habitation, and He will give us a shout as those who tread grapes against all the inhabitants of the earth. Hosea 11.10, They shall walk after the Lord. He shall roar like a lion, and when He shall roar, then the children shall tremble from the west. In Joel 3.16, it says, The Lord shall roar out of Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem, and the heavens and the earth shall shake, but the Lord will be the hope of his people and the strength of the children of Israel. And um, Amos also mentions it. He says, And he cried with a loud voice as when a lion roars. As when a lion roars. So this loud sound that comes, the sound of heaven that that roars out and obviously these seven thunders begin to say there are things that are being said and we're not allowed to know what they are right now we will know what they are because we'll be there right we'll be there when all this happens so we're going to know what those seven thunders are but we don't know uh, what they are at least at this point and if God doesn't want us to know right now then we don't need to know the voice of verse 8 then the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said go take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. So I went to the angel and said to him, Give me the little book. And he said to me, Take and eat, and it will make your stomach bitter, but it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. I took the little book out of the angel's hand. I ate it, and it was as sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. And he said to me, You must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. And so... The bitterness was what he was going to have to prophesy out. It's sweet because it's the word of the Lord, but the difficulty is is that he knows what it will bring about as he begins to speak that out. Okay? Chapter 11. Then I was given a reed like a measuring rod, and the angel stood saying, Rise and measure the temple of God, the altar and those who worship there. But leave out the... But leave out the court which is outside the temple and do not measure it for it has been given to the gentiles and they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months and i will give power to my two witnesses and they'll prophesy 1260 days clothed in sackcloth these are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the god of the earth so let's let's dig into this a little bit so i gave you these papers because i wanted you to see this so Dr. Um, Asher Kaufman, um, years ago, this is in 1983, he did this. But he started doing some archaeology. Now, you're not allowed to dig around that area because of the Dome of the Rock. You can see that's right here, the Dome of the Rock. But when he started looking at that environment that was there, the Jews believed that there was the Dome of the Tablets where the tablets of Moses used to rest. Okay, And they've built a little pavilion there for that which is directly east of the golden gate okay you see the golden gate on your right i'm on this one right here i'm sorry i should have probably told you that so okay so what he did is in looking at the temple because you know i told you that if israel decides to go after the dome of the rock to build the temple there 
it'll be World War III instantly. I mean, it'd be a major deal. Dr. Kaufman, what, he's a Jewish man. He actually felt that when he looked at this, that because of the location of the Golden Gate, and that you could look out the temple to the Golden Gate. So if you, like in our daily Bible reading, those of you that are reading with me, we've been reading, we read in Ezekiel about how the glory left the temple and it went out the Eastern Gate and it sat upon the Mount of Olives, okay? So uh, the Golden Gate is the Eastern Gate, is the Eastern Gate. Now it's interesting, that's the gate that Jesus came through when he came into Jerusalem on the donkey. All right. When they were doing the the triumphal entry, he came through that gate. He also taught at the steps of the Golden Gate, because if you went in the Golden Gate, you walked into the temple. That's the way it was. So if you go through the Golden Gate, the temple, you're walking up into the temple of Jerusalem. Now, all that's torn down now. Obviously, it's all been taken down and, and been destroyed. Interesting. The Golden Gate is still there, but. The Golden Gate is sealed up. So when you go online, you look. I didn't want to set all the, I didn't want to get all the pictures and stuff out tonight. But if you look at the Golden Gate, it, it actually, where people would go in, it was actually sealed up all the way to the top with stone. So all you see is where the outline of the gate was, and then you see the stones that are there. The reason that it was, uh, that it was uh, stoned up was because a Turkish king that was there in Israel was afraid because of all the stories he heard of the Messiah coming through the eastern gate so he sealed the gate up so the Messiah couldn't come in (laughs) now he didn't know the Messiah already went through right so that's a done deal but that was why he did it so it's still sealed up to this day they have not opened it back up but the east, the Golden Gate, if you look at it, so, okay, so I'm facing west right now. So the Golden Gate, let's say that I'm where the Golden Gate is, and then over here you have the temple. So the temple then is going to have all the artifacts in it. So it's a direct line all the way over. There would be steps that would be there. Jesus taught on those steps, and uh, that, uh, that they were called, they call them over there, I think the learning steps or something, the teaching steps, I believe. Where Dr. Kaufman saw the temple being rebuilt was not over the Dome of the Rock, but was actually over the Dome of the Tablets, which makes a little bit more sense. Um, Now, I still think this is all going to happen after the church is gone, obviously because of this. You know, I think I think this happens in that three and a half year period, probably during the tribulation period. Um, The Jews have already I mentioned this to you before. But the Jews uh, have a what's called the uh, Israel Institute, and they are constantly creating the artifacts for this temple that they're going to build someday. The, pal- uh, the Muslims would not have an issue, as much an issue with them building this because they're not building it over the Dome of the Rock. They're building it uh, to the side of it, you know, off which Israel owns that land. So they can build there if they want to. Uh, so it can happen. Huh? So they can exist side by side. Yeah, so they'll be side by side, at least at that point. And uh, so it'll be interesting as that, as that he, was, he had become uh, absolutely convinced that the Solomon's Temple stood to the north the, uh, of the Dome of the Rock, that it was not 
that it was not because of the location of the golden of where the golden gate is. Yes, ma'am. Okay, so the Wailing Wall is in the west, is the western wall. Okay, so it's the furthest wall away. Yeah, can you, can you, yeah, so it's the furthest wall away. And, and they don't call it the Wailing Wall there. They call it the Western Wall. Okay, and the Western Wall is not really part of Solomon's Temple. It's part of Herod's Temple. Okay, so Herod... Uh, and I think in your pictures there, I gave you a picture of Herod's maybe overlying. I don't know if I did or not. But Herod, you know, because he was bigger, better, faster, stronger, whatever, he built a bigger temple than what Solomon did. He did not follow the exact plan. But we know that Josephus, who was a historian, a Jewish historian, he wrote how that even though that Herod had built the temple, there was no Ark of the Covenant inside the temple. There was nothing inside the veil. So we know that that was gone. Indiana Jones had already found it, and the government had taken it and hid it in a box. But, but anyways, it was already gone. And, and nobody really knows. You know, I don't, you've probably heard this before. Uh, the people in uh, Ethiopia believe they have it. Uh, they say they have it, that they've seen it. Um, that it's in one of their temples and it's guarded there. Um, they say that Solomon gave it to them uh, to protect it from, you know, from, to, he gave it to the Queen of Sheba, basically. And so she brought it there and, okay, well, that's great. Uh, they're the only ones that get to see it. Nobody else even has seen a picture of it or anything close to it. So I don't believe it. Yeah, I think that's a, a nice story, but I just, uh, others believe that it was, priests buried it down underneath there's supposedly this place where i'm telling you the dome of the tablets is also called the dome of the souls all right and there's tunnels that are down underneath this you and i can't get into them they they won't let us the access points to these uh, are on the are through the dome of the rock and so you and i can't get into them but if you could get into them you go down under the dome of the tables. They believe that, and there's caves, masses, mounts of caves. They believe, there's people that believe that the priests hid the Ark of the Covenant down in one of those caves. All right? I don't know. I don't know what, they, I don't know what happened to it. Those My, caves that still, those caves that go underneath the uh, Mount of Olives. They go, well, the Mount of Olives is that way. If we're, if I'm, it's further east. It could, there's graves, so what they've done now is all that area between Jerusalem and the Mount, or uh, excuse me, um, Zion and the Mount of Olives is all graves. It's all dead box, it's all boxes filled with dead bones everywhere. I mean, that's all it is. It's just masses. When you, when you stand and you look out over that valley from the Golden Gate, all you see is graves all the way to where the Garden of Gethsemane is. But there are caves that are down under there, but I don't know. You know, my guess is, one, the Ark of the Covenant has no power anymore. Okay? It, I mean, it's not, it was created for a time and a season, and that season is over <laughs> through Jesus Christ. We don't need the Ark of the Covenant. We have Jesus. Amen. Uh, we don't have to go to the Ark to ask for direction and guidance and protection. We have Jesus, who is our protector. 
So I wanted you to see this because obviously here in the book of Revelation that he's measuring, he's saying, go measure this temple. There is a temple that is rebuilt. I'm assuming that it's probably over this dome of the tablets. Now, somebody said to me here in class, he said, well, you know, if Israel decided they could just go in and blow up that dome of the rock and just do all that and whatever. Okay, one, I doubt they would do that because of that Abraham, that's a sacred area to them because that's where Abraham took Isaac to, to, to sacrifice him. So I doubt that that would actually happen. Um, I also think that there's some validity to this because, you know, the, the original temple that was built was built on a threshing floor, not the Dome of the Rock. Not, excuse me, not where Abraham was going to sacrifice Isaac. So David bought a threshing floor. Who did it belong to? Anybody know offhand? Uh, Obed-Edom? No, no, that's not right. I'll, remember, I'll, I'll find it. But anyways, he had to buy that from him, and then they built the temple on this threshing floor. So I think there's some validity to this testimony. This could happen. I don't think they're going to blow the dome up. I just don't think that's going to happen. And, uh, but I think this could, actually, this could actually take place. They have the menorah. You can go online and see all this. They have the menorah, which is solid gold. Uh, they also have the altar of incense. They've made that. They've created that. Um, they also have the table for the showbread made already. So they have the three artifacts that go in the holy place. What they don't have is what goes in the holy of holies. And, yeah. They even have the plans all set and ready. Yeah, they have plans. Exactly. Yeah, and this is the, so it's called the Israel Institute. And they're right outside, so if, uh, we didn't get to see this, but they're right outside the Western Wall. So they have a shop, you know, that you can, they, they show you all these things. They have priestly garments made, and um, uh, they have priestly garments made. They have the table of showbread, which was really interesting how that's designed. Um, and then they have, like I said, the altar of incense, which is just a big, they also have uh, the brazen sea, uh, they are, have a school that was started to teach how to do sacrifices already. And uh, the red heifer has been already. They've already been breeding the red heifer. So all of these things are, are in place, you know, to happen already. Um, it's just I, I don't know that it will happen while we're here. It could. I mean, we could see this start the construction of it. And, uh, but, you know, my concern with it, and even with Christians, and just look, Hear me out. We as Christians get real flaky about artifacts and we run to them. I mean, I watched people kneeling on a rock that supposedly Jesus was laid on that he was prepared for his burial and they were touching it and kissing it and and holding on, you know, crying over it and pleading with it and sticking prayers under it. We don't have to do any of that. But as Christians, we tend to kind of gravitate towards these symbols, even spirit-filled Christians do. I mean, it's just, you know, we think, oh my goodness, they found the Ark of the Covenant. I got to get there and put my, you know, pray for Johnny. Let me tell you how to pray for Johnny. In the name of Jesus, you're, you're with God right now. You don't need the Ark of the Covenant for that to happen. So why do you think that is? Why do you think that happened? Because it's natural. 
because we relate to it. It's in a, in a way, it's it's a form of idolatry. Idolatry is, is is an easy thing to fall into because it's something we can see. Yeah, I mean, it could be a rock. You know, God said, "My people, they'll build a they'll they'll take a piece of wood." That I love this story. He says, "My people will take a, a cut a tree down. They'll take half of it and." burn the wood to keep their house warm and cook their food and the other half they'll carve into an idol and worship it <laughs> why do we do why do people do that because it's easier to see a wooden idol than it is to see the invisible God to be, trust and believe in the invisible God and I think that's where we just got to be you know we can be very superstitious people in the church even in spirit-filled churches, you know, somebody drops their Bible and we think, is God trying to say something to me? Okay. Yeah, he's trying to say, read your Bible and stop looking for, looking for you know, the Greeks seek for signs. We're not Greeks. We should know who our God is. Amen. We should know who our God is. So this is, this is part of what I think has to happen. And I think there will be, I think there will, if it is built in our lifetime, okay, before the rapture of the church, if this thing starts happening, I still think you will see thousands and thousands of Christians gravitating to go there to worship because they, they, man takes, you know, what we saw in Jerusalem was mankind, Christians have taken everything that Jesus was a part of and have corrupted it with idolatry. They corrupted all of it. The mound that he was crucified on, the tomb that he was put in, it all has been just turned into shrines, basically. Did you get to see his tomb? Hmm? We saw where supposedly it was. But there's a lot of discrepancy where his tomb was. And they don't know for sure. It was empty, yeah, so they have no, you know, there's, some, there's a place that they call the garden tomb, but... It, but it's outside the city gates, so out of the old city gates. And being outside, or, or excuse me, it was inside the old city gates. And so it couldn't have been the tomb because the tomb was outside the city gates. So, but it gives you a good reference point of what it would have looked like. If you went to see where Jesus, they have him, where they're saying he is right now, you would just walk away like what we did and go, I'm glad I believe in a living Savior Amen. and not into pieces of rock. Amen. Amen. That somehow I'm going to get a miracle because I touched a rock. I'll reach for the hem of his garment, but I'm not reaching for a rock. Pastor, yes, sir. We're forgetting that there's a seven-year contract. Could be right at the beginning. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, and it won't take long for him to do it. I mean, to to not build today. it. No, not today. With the, you know. Even though building supplies are up 35%, I mean, still. Yeah, so they've got things in place that it could happen. So, um, but I just wanted you guys to see that. I thought that was really cool. Uh, it does give us a good, you know, and the whole idea about the, the, uh, the Golden Gate, the Eastern Gate, uh, is so important. You know, when you look at, um, you know, for example, uh, if you look at this testimony about, the temple in Ezekiel, which gives you a little more detail. Ezekiel talks about water flowing out from under the, you know, the throne, and it flows out 
Well, you know, Jerusalem, the temple sets up here. So if that water is flowing out, then it's going down. I think it says it goes out the northern gate, and then it goes out the southern, then it goes out the eastern gate. It's all flowing down into valleys. That's where all these rot, all these tombs are at, and it's all flowing down. And then it would make its way down to the Dead Sea because everything, so you, you get the image in the picture that if everything that's flowing out, it's not going to stay down there at the bottom. It's all going to flow towards the Dead Sea because that's the lowest, that's the lowest point and it'll go down to the Jordan and it'll end up there eventually. So the, the Ezekiel talks about how that the, the glory of God leaves the temple, goes over to the Mount of Olives and sits there. Then it comes back through the Eastern Gate I mean, these are very, very powerful, powerful uh, images that are written about in the scripture. All right, we've got to move on because I've got to get wrapped up here. All right. So then he says, I'm going to give power to my two witnesses, and they'll prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. These two, these are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. Now, this is a reference to the book of Zechariah. Um, and uh, this is a reference to the book of Zechariah where Zechariah talks about this vision that he has. I think it's in chapter 4 of the book of Zechariah. Uh, chapter 4, chapter 2. But anyways, there are two olive, there are two olive trees. They have an endless oil, um, and God calls them his two, his two witnesses. He says that if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. We just read about Elijah in our daily reading about how Elijah, when they came, 50 guys came to get him and fire came down and devour. He said, if I'm a true prophet of God, fire will come down and devour you. It happens three times or two times. The third guy comes in and says, oh, you're amazing. You're wonderful. I'm humbled. I'm so sorry. I got to ask you to do this. But we'll, he, and he goes with that guy. So, and then it says that the, what, the heavens are stopped. We know that's the rain stopped. So we're pretty sure this is Elijah, okay? The second one could be Moses. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, could be Enoch too. You know, Enoch and Elijah are the only two that were taken up alive. But Elijah appears with Moses, with Jesus, and I don't think he appeared any different than Moses did whenever they were on the Mount of Transfiguration. I don't know who it is for sure. I don't think we can know who it is for sure. And I don't really think it matters who it is for sure, right? Because they're going to do what they're there to do. And I love this because um, this goes on and talks about um, that uh, they have power over the waters to turn them to blood, to strike the earth with all plagues as, as often as they desire. When they finish their testimony, the beast will that descend ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them overcome them and kill them and their body dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt now this is why they believe it's Enoch and Elijah because if they did not die when they went into heaven now they're dying because they're killed here in the streets um he says that, uh, excuse me, and their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. That's a pretty strong statement because they're basically calling Jerusalem Egypt and Sodom. 
Then those from the peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies three and a half days. There's your CNN right there. There's Fox News or whatever. They're, all of them are reporting it worldwide, these dead bodies, because they stood up. And so it goes everywhere in the world. And uh, they don't allow their dead bodies to be put into graves. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry and send gifts to one another. Because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. Now after the three and a half days, the breath of life of, from God entered them and they stood on their feet and the party was over. Right. right? And great fear fell on all those who saw them and they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. Here's your fourth rapture right in the book of Revelation, right? right. Come up here. And they ascended to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies saw them. And in the same hour there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. And the earthquake, 7,000 people were killed, and the rest were afraid and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there was loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sat before God on the throne fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was and who is to come, because you have taken your great power and reigned. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come, and the time of the dead, and they should be judged, and, you, and that you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, small and great, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. And the temple of God was opened in heaven, and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple. And there were lightnings, noises, thunderings, and earthquake, and great hail. Notice it was not the temple on earth that they saw this, the ark. They saw the one that was in heaven that the earth one was created after. And that ends chapter 11. So in our chiastic teaching, when we're looking at this, so we're right here at the end. We're towards the pinnacle, the climax of the story, okay? So we're, next week we'll get into the, the climax of this story. But everything has been set in place. Um, now things are going to start happening real fast. Satan's defeat, I mean, the defeat that comes, he's bound for a thousand years. And uh, things are going to move pretty quick. So, amen. Awesome. Any questions? <coughs> Yeah. Um, watching something it was on um, I think it was on YouTube actually, I and mean, it was a, a pastor and he was talking about like, you know, the end time and things and he said he was talking about how like if you look at the Palestinian um, like our Hamas flag, Palestinian that the, that's, it actually is the the four colors of the horses, um, in the you know, in the Bible in Revelation. And then it talks about they would be banded with, um, like if you're with Satan, you have 666 or whatever the case may be. And they show you that these people from like Hamas are wearing like these um, green bands. And these bands, they have like, of course, different lettering than you and I would, I wouldn't know what it said. Right. But also, <coughs> the letters 666 huh. in them. And he, so he was just saying that this, you know, it could, it, this could be some prophecy coming true that we're so I was just wondering what your take on that. Have you heard anything about that? Sure. 